Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Stone Pages Archie News Podcast, episode number 266. As always, I am your host, Philip Hansen. Now, before we get into the stories, I would like to note that I am very sorry for the long wait between 2017 and 2018. Diego and I have been both extremely busy, and we've had some ups and downs in our personal life. I've been working a lot on the projects at Aarhus University, where I'm currently employed, as well as writing an article for a French journal, which I'm hoping to get uh, approved. I'm still waiting on word for that, as well as having attended a conference in Tallinn. For all of our Estonian listeners, I love your town, mostly because I'm a medievalist, and it is absolutely fantastic. And to all of our listeners, you should definitely go at some time. Flights are actually quite cheap here in Europe. But without further ado, I think we should get to the stories. But before that, it is of course worth mentioning that all of these stories are gathered from various places around the web. So you can go to news.stonepages.com to look at any of the stories that we haven't covered today, as well as finding all of the sources for any of the stories that we covered in this podcast, as well as the ones we missed. Diego and his team spend quite a lot of time making sure we get the right sources and we get the presented to you in the perfect way so that we get all the facts right and we don't embellish anything that we don't need to because that is my job. <laughs> now, kicking off, there are some nice little burial caves around Mayo or maybe they're part of a more ritualistic burial practice. Following that, we have Jersey joining the European Cultural Root Program, which is a very nice program. I can't wait for you guys to hear about that. Following that, we have Japanese faces painted on stones, which is a little bit more exciting than it does sound. Then we go to the Swiss army knife of the prehistoric era, namely fire sticks. Speaking of fires, which is nice and warm, why not enjoy a nice sauna like the Finns do? However, this one is not from Finland. This is actually from East Yorkshire, and is made inside of a henge monument, which is also very interesting. Following that story, we'll be going somewhere nice and cold, the Eastern Baltic, where we'll be looking at pottery from Sweden, Finland, and Estonia. Then staying in the Scandinavian areas, we'll be looking at some of the early settlers in Scandinavia and where they actually came from. And last, but certainly not least, we will have a Stonehenge story, namely on the A303, on whether or not it is a good idea for it to be made into a tunnel. And ladies and gentlemen, for the first story of today's podcast, we have a Neolithic ritual cave site being discovered in Mayo, Ireland. Now, the cave-like chamber was discovered by a hillwalker in the northwest Mayo in Ireland and has been confirmed as a Neolithic site used for highly complex burial practices over 5,000 years ago. Scientific analysis was carried out by the Department of Heritage and indicated that there were at least 10 people, both adults and children, placed in the chamber over a period of up to 1,200 years, with one of the adult bones in the natural boulder chamber dated back to 3600 BCE, while a bone from a child skeleton dated to 2400 BCE. Now, the Minister for Heritage of Ireland, Josepha Madigan, praised the local hillwalkers for reporting the find and described it as a fascinating archaeological discovery. Adding, such vigilance is extremely important to us in helping protect and understand our archaeological heritage. Now, the man of the hour is local hillwalker Michael Chambers, who came across the rock-cut chamber among massive boulders in August of 2016, while he was walking the Bengorm Mountain in the Neffenbeg range of West Mayo. And the human bones were scattered all over the rock floor. 
Chief Archaeologist of the National Monument Service, Michael McDonough, said the area was a very remote location and the site would have been deliberately chosen for this remoteness. Now, the woman who led the excavation is Dr. Marion Dowd of IT Sleeco, who states that large pieces of quartz had been placed in and around the bones. When the radiocarbon dates came through, it was very exciting. Not only were the bones Neolithic, but the dates showed that the site had been used for over 1,000 years. Now, it should be noted that there is probably talk more of a ritual place than a burial site, where the bodies would have been placed to decompose, but not as a final resting place. And this is supported by the finds, according to the osteoarchaeologist who examined the human bones, Dr. Linda Lynch, who says, Only a very small proportion of each skeleton was found, with the majority of bones apparently deliberately removed. The discovery indicates highly complex processing of the dead. Now, Michael McDonough, who is the chief archaeologist, said the bones would be deposited with the National Museum after all the analysis were done, but it was unlikely that they were ever going to go on display. Now, following the story, the residents of mustard and ketchup are now deliberately searching their hills trying to find an equally impressive ritual cave site, but so far, none have been reported. And for our next story, we'll be going to Jersey, who joins the Europe's Cultural Route Program, or the ECR for short. Now, in 1987, the Council of Europe launched a cultural roots program, which was uh, made to show how the heritage of different countries and cultures within Europe had contributed to a shared and living cultural heritage. Now, the first of these routes that was established was a medieval route, and it is probably one that all of you guys know. It is the Santiago de Compostela Pilgrims Route in Spain. For those of you unsure of which one that is, it's the one where you get the little seashells at the end of it. Now, despite the Santiago de Compostela being more of a medieval route, there are other modern routes, such as the Destination Napoleon and in the footsteps of Robert Louis Stevenson. Not all of the routes are modern in nature, though. There are some prehistoric ones, one of these being the European route of megalithic culture that was started in 2013. Existing members of this route are the UK, Denmark, Spain, Germany, Netherlands, Sweden, and Portugal, where there are both hiking and cycling activities, uh, which are organized to explore and enjoy the wealth of megalithic tombs and dolmens in the areas. Now, the latest member of this megalithic group is the Société Chassez in the Channel Islands of the UK, and it is hoped that this membership will help boost Jersey's cultural profile. Now, a working group has been set up, and formed to uh, take this forward, and uh, comprises of both archaeologists and members of Jersey government's economic development department. And uh, they hope to help promote the awareness of the Dolman culture on Jersey. One of the members of this working group is Rosalind Lequesne, who is an archaeologist, and is quoted as saying, It's great for little Jersey to get recognized in the bigger picture of cultural heritage. This will give us more international prominence. I know the people here at Stone Pages definitely support this idea, and I cannot wait to see the route that Jersey uh, puts up when it is finally organized. And for our next story, we have a bit of Japanese archaeology news, which I don't feel we get a lot of on the Stone Pages Archaeo News podcast. So without further ado, let's examine a painted stone which gives clues to ancient Japanese culture. Now, this piece of stone, which depicts a human face, has been found in Kikonai, Hokkaido. And it dates back to the Joman pottery culture, which is circa 8000 BCE to 300 BCE. 
And, reportedly, it's the first artifact of its kind to be discovered anywhere in Japan. On the matter, and I am really sorry to mispronounce your name, Yasushi Kosugi, a German culture professor at Hokkaido University, says, The find is extremely precious in that it could help ascertain what the spiritual culture in the mid-German period was like. Now, the stone fragment dates from the latter half of the mid-German period, which is 4,300 years ago, and was unearthed where a pit house once stood. The stone itself is shaped like an inverted triangle, measuring 12 to 13 centimeters on each side and 14 millimeters thick. The stone was first flattened with a whetstone or other tools. Now, a horizontal line was drawn near the top side with a black pigment and an ellipse that apparently represents an eye and lines forming eyebrows and the nose are also painted on the rock itself. Now, a painting of a human body with pigments has also been discovered on the lower part of an earthenware vessel excavated at the Toronomiya archaeological site in the Nagano prefecture and is known to have been made during the German pottery culture, but no drawings of a face have been previously found. I'm wondering if it's possible if uh, there's talk of a quote-unquote skull culture like we talked about on one of the previous podcasts where you have human skulls that are made to be set in place inside of a temple. Uh, ju- you know, Just in this case, the human face on the rock kind of is made so it can be shifted around to different pots uh, depending on the ritual, I'm guessing. Would be interesting to see... Uh, or get further updates on this further down the line. So, for our next story, it is worth noting that before Swiss Army knives, there are apparently wooden tools that hint at the Neanderthal fire use. This comes from a recent excavation done by archaeologists who have unearthed several pieces of wooden digging sticks from a plain at the foot of the low hills in Tuscany. Where about 171,000 years ago, the shores of a lake were surrounded by grassland and marshes as long as very large grazing animals like the straight-tusked elephants whose bones litter the site. Now, if you're a hunter-gatherer, the digging stakes are the aforementioned Swiss army knives of the era. It is your foraging multi-tool, to be exact. It is about a meter long, one end rounded to offer a handle and the other tapered almost to a point, and it can be used for digging up roots and tubers, hunting burying animals, or pounding and grinding herbs. Now, the multi-tools created by the Neanderthals of Middle Pleistocene Italy are probably very familiar to the modern-day forage and hunters, like the Bindibu of Australia, the Hatsa of Tanzania, and the San of the Southern Africas. And in most of these hunter-gatherer cultures, the digging sticks are usually associated with women. The finds are dated back to a period where the Neanderthals would have roamed the hills of southern Italy, and the archaeologists who excavated the site in 2012 found 39 broken pieces of the sticks, along with an assortment of other stone tools. Now, of the 39 fragments found, only about 4 pointed tips and 6 rounded handles survived, along with 31 pieces of shafts. 4 of the handles and all the tips have been broken during the tool's lifetime. Now, one of these digging sticks was a little bit more interesting than the rest, as researchers noted the one millimeter thick layer of black film on its shaft. The surface being fractured in a square-like pattern, very reminiscent of charring. Now, chemical testing on this exact piece revealed that, yes, it actually had been charred, but 11 other of these pieces had been charred as well. And they all seem to be charred evenly on the same part of the stick, implying a carefully controlled exposure to fire. 
Archaeologists believe that the Neanderthals used the fire to char the surface of the wood, which would make it easier to scrape off the bark and shape the ends. Boxwood is one of Europe's strongest hardwoods, and it's perfect for a digging stick, but it's also extremely difficult to shape with the stone tools of the time. The fire would have softened an outer layer and made it a lot easier to work with. And when the researchers tried working on some of the boxwood branches, they found that they couldn't shape the handles and points without first charring the wood. Some archaeologists believe that Homo heidelbergensis, who is an ancestor to the Neanderthals, may have used a similar method to shape spears in a 300,000-year-old site in Germany. Now, these spears, of course, come to a much sharper point than the digging sticks from Italy, but they do lack the evidence for use of fire in their manufacturing. This then makes the digging sticks from Italy the earliest clear examples of wooden tools that are being shaped with fire. Moving on from our last story on how you can ease the manipulation of sticks using fire, I think we should uh, look at another use of heat, namely saunas. And the reason why we're discussing this is that there's a henge in England that could have been an ancient sauna. This henge was unearthed by archaeologists in East Yorkshire, and it is the first of its kind to be found in this region. The remains were found at the site of Little Catway Quarry, which is located near the North Sea's coast and indicated a house structure made of wooden posts. There was a ditch and a bank, which were later built to encircle the whole structure. Two entrances were created, one to face northwest, while the other stood on the southeast side. During the excavation, the researchers have discovered a pit in the middle of the site, along with heavily burned stones, with similar stones being found near the entrances, which may have been discarded from the site. Archaeologist John Tipples from East Riding Archaeology said it was a meeting place where all the little groups could come together. We found a lot of burnt stones, but they weren't in situ. It is possible that bodies were brought there to be cremated and then the remains buried elsewhere. Tibbles also believes the site may have a link to a cemetery in Sandsfield, a mile away, where 37 urns were found in a ring ditch. The artifacts from the Sandsfield Cemetery site date back to around the same time as the Henge, which experts believe was used between the late Neolithic and the early Bronze Age. Now, Jim Leary, the University of Reading's field school director who led the excavation in Kent, noted that there were no traces of coal or wood inside the building, but proof of large fires outside of it. He says, I think what's happening is that people are heating up the stones on the external fire and then carrying them into the building and placing them on the internal hearth. That would explain the lack of charcoal inside the building. What's more, the building is very well made with a substantial ledge perfect for sitting on, and the hearth really does dominate the whole space. There's no room to do anything else apart from sitting around it. There's no living space. Sadly, the henge has to be dug up due to the fact that the quarry that lies within it needs expanding, but Tables has said that the site details will be first recorded in painstaking detail. Other ancient finds from the area include a mammoth tusk and a 45,000-year-old Cumbrian greenstone axe. And now for our next story, we have a subject which is very near and dear to my heart and research interest, namely pottery in archaeology. I personally believe that pottery is the best way, or at least one of the better ways, to study the prehistoric peoples as it is a much more general item that has some high-status functions in some cases, unlike gold, which seems to purely have a high-status or ritualistic function. Now, this story is actually about how skilled potters would travel around the Baltic nearly 5,000 years ago. And it is specifically about one type of pottery, the corded ware pottery, that is an innovation over earlier Stone Age pottery, 
which mix broken pottery with the clay. This is also, in uh, technological terms, known as a grog temper, where grog is, of course, the broken pieces of pottery. Now, thanks to some fantastic research done by the University of Helsinki, it has now been possible to map the roots of the pottery and the people who represent the late Neolithic corded ware culture complex. And, of course, how they go into the Nordic countries around circa 2900-2300 BCE. This was done by examining the pottery from 24 archaeological sites to determine the geochemical composition and the geological origin of the corded ware pottery. Now, traditionally, Swedish archaeologists have assumed that the corded ware pottery arrived from the south, though the more recent research shows that the pottery and the people belonging to the culture arrived first in eastern Sweden from Finland and Estonia. And this is not a one-way or a one-time event. There were many active contacts in all directions across the Baltic Sea during this period. Now, what is worth noting is that the researchers found that in Finland, Estonia, and Sweden, there are at least five different manufacturing areas for corded ware pottery. And these areas engaged in active trade across the Baltic Sea approximately 5,000 years ago. One such manufacturing hub lies in Haima in southern Finland and can be seen as a quasi-industrial uh, production of this corded ware pottery in Neolithic terms. And it spread its products all along the Finnish coast and into Estonia. Now, in traditional societies, women are usually make the pottery, which uh, there are some very funny 1950s ideas of why this is, but that's a whole nother topic entirely. Uh, but it is also worth noting that you see this in African communities as well through anthropological studies. This fact is significant as quoted where burials of the time show females were more likely to receive pottery as a burial gift than any other gift. And the analysis from the European cemeteries show that women were also more likely to relocate during their lifetimes. The study proposes then that skilled female artisans arrived in Sweden, particularly from Estonia and Finland, as both the geochemical origin and the cultural links of the imported pottery indicate a connection to this region. This is also significant as the exchange network suggests that even during the Stone Age, the Baltic Sea was less of an obstacle and more of a connection between communities. Now as to the whole female artists and potters moving, there is actually an article that I have somewhere which is quite uh, significant to this topic. However, due to some copyright stuff, I won't be able to share it on the podcast, but if people ask, I am sure I can sum up the article for you if you are interested, possibly in an email or something. And now for our next story about the early Scandinavians who are descended from Europeans and Russians. There has actually been a long-term discussion on the origins of the peoples of Scandinavia, but now, due to modern DNA research, it has put some facts behind some of the theories. This research was carried out by a genetics research team from Uppsala University in Sweden, and they have been extracting the DNA from skulls and skeletons, which date back to the time when the ice was retreating after the end of the last Great Ice Age, as well as when the hunters were moving into these regions due to that effect. Matthias Jakobsen, who is a professor in genetics at the University of Uppsala, is quoted as saying, The genetic pattern shows how Scandinavia was colonized after the Ice Age, both by migrants from southwest Europe directly up into Scandinavia and shortly afterwards by a second migration from what is now Russia. The latter went north of the ice cap and along the Atlantic coast. Now, the Russians actually brought uh, more advanced hunting tools and this DNA analysis helped to solve another discussion as to how they were found in these remote regions. Another interesting point is that uh, these genes are still present in modern-day Scandinavians, which may explain their ability to survive the harsh winter climate. 
Now, as to the last point, I would like to argue that I know a lot of Scandinavians who could not survive the cold were not for all the nice warm clothes we had. And some people freeze even when it's just 15 degrees outside. (laughs) And now for our last story of today's podcast. While it is a Stonehenge story, it doesn't sadly have much uh, what I would call relevance as to the archaeological findings of Stonehenge. It is concerning the proposed tunnel under Stonehenge, which is raising a few new fears. Now, in the UK, it is common policy that any government planning that uh, has any effect on the public on a large-scale project has to be published as a public consultation, which allows anyone who is either affected by or interested slash concerned in the project to comment and forward their own views, opinions, or objections, which are then taken into consideration as the planning process proceeds. Now, the proposed tunnel is not exactly news to this podcast. We have actually talked about it before um, a few years ago when it was first proposed. Now, new fears are being raised in this public consultation, which are, of course, in regards to this tunnel that is proposed to be placed under Stonehenge in Wiltshire. The stones are, of course, a part of a World Heritage Site and is also currently a major highway. Namely, this highway is the A303 that links the southeast to the southwest of England and cuts across the area, passing close by the stone circles. Now, there have been recent improvements uh, involving a relocation of the visitor center, which has already limited a spur of road passed uh, through the site, but there are also other long-term plans to put the A303 into a tunnel, which hopes to ease congestion, pollution, and improve the visual appearance of the area. Remember before we talked about how the moving of the tunnel could help improve the overall viewing of the site and uh, actually place the Stonehenge in its somewhat original landscape. Now, fears have, of course, been raised in regards to this tunnel, some by Professor Shocks, who is an archaeologist at the University of Buckingham. And Professor Shocks notes that the route shown on the consultation documents is incorrect and that it would destroy invaluable features as well as affecting the water table, which could in turn adversely affect the geological conditions in the area. However, of course, in his defense, Highways England, the government department that is in charge of the improvement scheme, has stated through its spokesperson David Bullock that the document in question is a land ownership boundary plan. The plan shows indicative general features and was never intended as a geographical map. Now, the public consultation was open for comment and participation until the 6th of April, and I'm guessing as of now we're currently waiting on a report, but it is definitely something I feel we should uh, follow up on on the podcast. Now, if you have any comments to the story, or if you know of anybody who has made some very, so much deeper comments, uh, I would definitely love to know. And you can send me an email with those comments at philip at stonepages.com. And with that last story covered, I would like to thank you for listening to this podcast. Personally, my favorite story today was the one on the coated ware pottery. Uh, very interesting, especially as the conference I went to kind of covered a similar topic in the Middle Ages, or at least a similar distribution. As always, if you would like to see more of the stories that we haven't covered today, and trust me, there are quite a few, you can go to news.stonepages.com, where you can find the sources to all of today's stories, as well as any stories that we didn't cover. Along with this, if you have any critique or comments or anything else you'd like to know, please feel free to email me at philip at stonepages.com. That is P-H-I-L-I-P at stonepages.com. Or you can follow the link in the description of the podcast. If you feel so inclined, please feel free to leave a review on the iTunes page or wherever you find your podcasts. 
reviews are fantastic for making us a little bit more visible on the internet and also lets us know what you like about the podcast and what you don't like about the podcast and more importantly it shows us where all of our lovely listeners are from so thank you again for listening i've been your host philip hansen as always and i will see you next time